This is Update One, the podcast of the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. Update One provides a forum for listeners to learn about national and international stories, focusing on journalism and communication issues, news, and politics. Now, the latest edition of Update One. I'm Adam Cano, and joining me today is Scott Simi. He's an award-winning and Emmy-nominated journalist based in Toronto. Scott's career included stints at the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation and the Toronto Star before moving into technology communications for a variety of organizations. His newest venture is a podcast called Inside Stories, presented by the Bank of Montreal, or BMO for short. Welcome, Scott. Thanks. Let's start with the inspiration for your podcast, the COVID-19 pandemic. Arguably, Canada's had a, a much better outcome so far than the U.S. I mean, even adjusted for population, Canada's had fewer than half the number of infections and a mortality rate that I think is about a third lower. Why do you think that is? I think uh, our federal leadership, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, seemed to take it very seriously right from the get-go um, and made it very clear with a series of daily briefings that this was something we we had to work on together as, as a nation. Um, and so I think people understood that this was something very serious and that if we did not kind of take all the measures that we could possibly take, that uh, we would wind up with, with higher numbers. So I think just from from the very outset, there was a tone established that this is a very serious moment, really, of, of national crisis, and everyone needs to do their part. And Canada, like the U.S., is a is a federal system, albeit you have provinces and territories, whereas we have states. But what do you think has been sort of the story at the provincial and territorial level? I mean, I gather that there's been some parts of the country that have fared better than others. There have been, and you know, some of that may be because some of these uh, provinces have lower populations, lower population density than than you know a, a province like Ontario, for example. But I think even even these provinces that have conservative uh, premiers, and of course, uh, uh, Mr. Trudeau is is from the Liberal Party. I think those premiers also realized that they needed to be on the same page with the federal government and also, of course, that uh, the federal government was going to be providing a lot of aid that would be distributed widely across the country. Uh, The figure that I've seen thrown around is that up to $300 billion, with a B, dollars uh, has been committed to various wage subsidy, small business programs, and that is roughly 15% of our gross domestic product. So it's a huge amount of money, just as we've seen in the United States and, and elsewhere. But in, in this case, it, it seems that the premiers of the various provinces and territories also seem to just kind of get it that we needed to, to be on the same page. Yeah. And the prime minister has continued his daily COVID-19 press conferences um, unlike the White House, which wound them down under some scrutiny and, and criticism. How has the perception of Prime Minister Trudeau changed during this crisis, especially given that he now only leads a minority government in Canada? Well, he has become more popular. His approval rating has has gone up. I think the last number I saw was about 37 percent, which was, I believe, 6 percent higher than the Conservative Party. But 
I, there's no way really to capitalize on that because we had an election last fall, so it's not like uh, the prime minister would would ever want to call an early election with a with a pandemic going on. But certainly his popularity has improved, and I think part of that too. Uh, without, you know, dissing the U.S. president. But I think many Canadians have been watching the news and, and seen what has, you know, unfolded uh, from Mr. Trump. And when they compare our leader with the American president, um, certainly he, he's a lot more of a sort of a, an option that we'd be, we'd be happier with at the moment. Well, that's a good point. And I think it's something that's true of elections on both sides of the border is that you can have opinions about a candidate, whether he or she is incumbent or a challenger in isolation, but then what you think of them in comparison to the to the choice you have or might have uh, can then sway you perhaps one way or the other. One of the interesting things that I've noted, I'm a big Twitter guy. You know, I don't watch daily newscasts as much as I used to. And a lot of my information comes from trusted sources and news organizations on Twitter whom I follow. And what one of the things that I've noticed here is that, for example, the Conservative Party leader uh, in Canada has occasionally tried to take political pot shots from the side on Twitter, for example. And invariably, people sort of heap on and say, you know what, now is not the time. You know, we we have a crisis that we're dealing with and it's not the time for this. So invariably, he seems to be getting shut down when he attempts to do that. And I think, you know, I've seen I've seen him actually reduce uh, how many of those sort of pot shots he's been taking. Uh, but it's very interesting to watch that unfold. And of course, part of that, too, is just uh, Twitter's own algorithm, knowing that uh, I'm, I'm a bit left leaning. So it tends to feed me <laughs> the responses that I might I might agree with. Right. The other big story this year has been the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement and related civil rights protests in the in the face of often deadly uh, acts of systemic racism uh, by law enforcement and others. How has the topic of racism played out in Canada? It's huge here. Um, and in fact, we've seen a number of uh, marches, peaceful protests. Uh, thankfully, we have not seen any of the rioting that happened in some of the earlier events. Uh, but it has it has taken certainly it has caught the public attention uh, here in Canada as well, and you know quite quite rightly so because there there is certainly systemic uh, racism in Canada. Uh, both anti-black racism, um, anti-indigenous. Uh, there are many, many groups who could come forward and produce evidence that they have been discriminated against um, in Canada. So we're seeing, uh, we've seen already a commitment from the prime minister, from many of the people uh, in power, an acknowledgement that this is an issue and the time has come to deal with it here as well. I think, you know, sometimes people... Uh, even Canadians like to think, oh, it's this gentle, calm, polite country where, you know, um, everything goes well. But when it comes to systemic racism, we have an issue here in Canada. And, you know, with the death of George Floyd and that horrific video that so many of us have, have seen, it really triggered something here as well. And I suspect we're going to see long-term changes in this country. Yeah, uh, it, it really is remarkable how 
the topic has accelerated from you know even a visual perspective. So we're here at the Broadcast Operations Center of the National Press Club in the middle of Washington, two blocks from the White House on Juneteenth. And all of the roads in this part of the, of the city are blockaded by police and National Guard vehicles. Storefronts are boarded up. Um, it's, uh, you know, the security cordon is effectively in a, a lockdown except for official vehicles and, uh, and pedestrians. Let's turn to your podcast, uh, Inside Stories, presented by the Bank of Montreal. What is its premise, and, and why did you feel, feel it would sort of fill a gap in what is becoming an increasingly crowded uh, realm of podcasts? It's a long story, but I'll, the Coles Notes version is twofold. Uh, one is that my background was broadcast initially. I started working in radio when I was in high school. So, you know, I've kind of been around the medium since I was about 15, off and on. And part of my career was at uh, CBC, as you mentioned. And while working at CBC, one of my colleagues who became a good friend eventually left the CBC, and he became the head of marketing at BMO. And he knew that I was still working in communications and media. And he reached out to me soon after the pandemic began and said, hey, what do you think? You know, Do you think we could maybe pull together uh, a podcast that, that is not about the bank, that's not about personal finance, um, but is really about, you know, how people are coping with the pandemic. And I said, sure, let me let me think about that for a day. And so we chatted again the next day. And I said, yeah, let's let's try and do this. And the, and the concept really was to find out how people's lives have changed with the pandemic. And I don't just mean in terms of being lockdown and watching more Netflix, but whether they're looking at life differently, whether their work life has changed. And, and the goal was to see if we could come up with some stories that might kind of, uh, you know, inspire uh, or, you know, or even just entertain and inform. But hopefully, from time to time, we might come across a, a topic that would really elevate it and, and take it a little further. So one of the people um, I interviewed, for example, is named Gurdeep Pander, and he was originally from India, and he lives now in Yukon, just outside of Whitehorse, and he is a Bangra dancer. He teaches people this particular dancing style, and he has a number of viral videos out there, and he has continued to do that during the pandemic uh, with virtual classes instead of teaching people in person. Um, and he has found that people who want to do this, learn this dance style, find that they're getting a lot of joy out of it. But beyond that, he had a really interesting philosophy about life and about sort of the fact that all human beings are equal. And it, 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 he described it in such an eloquent way that I'm not even coming close to here and I'm not even going to attempt. But it really was a positive message at a time when things are difficult and so i remember after we you know pulled pulled that podcast together i thought you know he, he had something valuable to say here that i think would be valuable for listeners and i've had a couple of other other ones uh where where that has been the case as well so i think hopefully you know yes we're trying to tell these stories we're trying to introduce uh the the listener to interesting people from across north america but also elevate it beyond just a basic narrative. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed that that episode in particular. His um, his enthusiasm and sense of self grounding was really quite um, 
remarkable and infectious and uh you know, also what an amazing statement for diversity. Uh, someone with with his background and living in in Yukon, you know, not not Toronto or Montreal, as one perhaps stereotypically might presume, um, and and has taken his love for this dance uh, into so many places, including the the Canadian military, which was just really fun to watch the videos of that uh, on YouTube and elsewhere. Well, it's been interesting, too, to be working on this project as these events are unfolding in, in North America, but obviously in, in the U.S. in particular. Uh, for example, a couple of weeks ago, I spoke with uh, an African-American actor who has been in a number of movies. Uh, his name is Lamorne Morris, and we were able to broach that topic about Black Lives Matter and, and what it meant to him and, you know, this whole idea of systemic racism, the fact that he'd been out uh, participating in protests. Uh, and, you know, it, it gave him an opportunity to discuss something he normally wouldn't talk about in his career. And it gave me an opportunity to really understand more about what it what it might be like to be a person who has lived with that kind of systemic discrimination. I want to come back to that, but you've talked to, um, and I think you've released about, I think about eight episodes to date, and a couple of them have featured fellow journalists. Um, among those chosen was Peter Mansbridge, the legendary former anchor of the national CBC's uh, flagship nightly newscast. He's somebody who I gather is known to you and and now safely retired. Uh, he didn't mince words. No, he didn't. Um, I used to work with Peter, and so you know, I, I thought of him kind of immediately when we were kicking off the series. And no, he did not. Uh, Peter does a, a podcast now, and so he's also still very much on top of the news. And he certainly expressed his kind of surprise at how the U.S. president has been behaving and kind of the lack of leadership that we've seen. He didn't go into great detail, but by what he said, uh, you could tell he was certainly not a fan. And and that's not a position, of course, Peter would have been able to express when he was the anchor of the national newscast, but feels comfortable in, in doing in, in retirement or quasi-retirement. So yes, uh, he certainly he certainly did have that to say, and he was also quite a fan. He pointed out of uh, Angela Merkel uh, and how she has been handling handling things in her country. You also spoke to Jacqueline Charles. She's the uh, Caribbean correspondent for the Miami Herald. She had a lot to say about uh, the recent protests and COVID nineteen, and and even the importance of neutrality in journalism. What what did you take away from that interview? I took away a lot. I, I've always been a fan of Jacqueline's work. Um, you know, she was in Haiti, I believe, for like 18 months after that devastating earthquake and was, I believe, uh, one of the first journalists on the ground there after it after it happened. Uh, but I, I was struck by her dedication to this story. Normally, Jacqueline would be jumping on airplanes and traveling to these places that she reports on. But of course, with COVID-19, that has become very difficult to do. So now she is in a position where she is, you know, working the phones, she is monitoring radio on the internet, uh, listening to uh, one of the newscasts she mentioned is in Creole, um, and, and working all of her sources every day to try, despite these barriers and obstacles, 
to still get a picture of all these countries and, and what's happening in, in those places. And of course, she's trying to cover the countries themselves as, as, as well as what's happening with the pandemic. So if there's a really significant event that is outside of the pandemic, she is still trying to keep keep her eye on that as well. And I, I was just struck by, you know, the real true dedication that uh, we see in journalists we admire. I mean, all of us like to think we were dedicated or are dedicated as journalists, but always you run into some people who just care so deeply about what they do that even if they're personal lives are kind of put on hold so that they can do that work that's what they choose to do and certainly i saw that and heard that in the conversation with with jacqueline uh you know i asked her at one point i said so man it sounds like you work so hard what what's your work life balance like and she said i i don't have a home life right now it's all work but she didn't sound bitter about that she loves what she does and and she does such a fantastic job as a as a journalist well, and I think that's one of the messages of some of the other episodes as well. And without giving anything away, you know, I think there is a thread that you've managed to tie together here among guests who are in such different uh, careers uh, and of different backgrounds that have a connection back to balance and mental health. Yes. And, uh, you know, I have a background in, in the mental health world. Uh, I've co-authored a couple of books about mental health, uh, nonfiction, obviously. Um, so it's been an area that, that interests me. And when I hear, you know, an opening in, in an interview where I might be able to take it further and touch on some of those issues or just touch on something that I think is, is useful and deeper than day-to-day conversation, I try to go there where possible. And the other day, and, and I don't want to give this away either, but the other day it was actually a guest who surprised me. Now, this this guest uh, has a very interesting job, a very successful career, and I follow this person on Twitter, and that's really about all I knew about her. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a funny aside because normally when I'm going to interview someone, like any journalist, I will try to do my research and learn as much as I can about them to see if there might be a little tidbit or grain here and there that that is worth asking about. And in this case, I did not have time to to research this woman's background. And so I went into it kind of cold. I had prepared a, a list of questions, sort of general questions, but there we were. So we're carrying out the interview and this person is very accomplished in, in terms of doing an interview. She had wonderful answers, very eloquent to the point. Um, and I, as I looked at my list of questions, I thought, holy cow, I, I might run out of questions here. So I, I was listening very, very carefully to see if there might be something that she dropped that, that I could return to. And early on, I asked her, I said, listen, you speak from time to time. Who, who do you speak for and what do you speak about? And one of the things she said was, well, there are times when I speak about adversity that I've overcome and other times about the accomplishments of my career. And so as I was hitting that point of running out of questions, I said, you know, early on, you said something about overcoming adversity. And I said, I'm wondering if there's just one particular thing that you're comfortable sharing that you could tell us about. And she then launched into a story that was about five minutes long and actually left me in tears 
because it was so giving and it was such a deeply, deeply personal story. And there was also a message there that I felt instantly could be useful for other people. And so for me, it was actually one of the highlights of the journalistic work that I've done throughout my career was just having this conversation the other day and having this person trust me enough to tell me that story as I heard it unfold I just I could barely believe it and I could barely believe how how giving this person was so that was a real high point for me yeah no absolutely and I, I will I will not say anything more about it other than to encourage listeners of this podcast to subscribe to yours to listen to that episode I believe it's episode seven but they're all great and really get an appreciation for the transparency and authenticity uh, of that moment. I mean, that's exactly what what great journalism should be about. Journalists aren't the only ones affected by the current lockdown. And you also work on the the communication side, the technology communication side. And many of the listeners uh, of this podcast and members of the National Press Club um, are communicators rather than journalists. And I guess I'm sort of curious about what your message is to them, especially in times of crisis, about communicating, you know, having now served on both sides of the fence? I think for me, the message is, it's a word actually you used just a minute ago, which was authenticity. Coming from a journalism background and without really any formal, you know, marketing and communications training, to me, it's important to tell the truth. Um, You know, obviously, if we're working in communications, we may want to highlight certain value propositions, uh, etc. But I think in the end, I think people have become very sophisticated uh, when they're reading content. And I think they know immediately if something feels like marketing speak, if it feels like we're trying to persuade them. And so I always take the approach that we need to simply tell the truth. Um, and you know, look for the look for the points that we want to emphasize, but do so really in kind of a journalistic fashion. And that has certainly worked for clients that that I have worked with. Um, and it's been the approach that I'll that I'll continue to take because it just it just resonates. It feels authentic because it is. Yeah, yeah. It's certainly a message that I share with my my PR students at American University here in Washington. And I think an extra challenge with you is a lot of the communications that you do relates to emerging technologies, things like unmanned aerial vehicles, where, you know, nobody really knows yet what is 100% real or viable. And there's a lot of players out there jockeying for position, right? Absolutely. And it's a very competitive space. That field of unmanned aerial vehicles is growing so rapidly. And, and in fact, it's, it's an area that I knew I wanted to move into uh, when I left journalism. Um, and yeah, again, I think, you know, if you want to stand out in a very noisy, crowded room, you know, clear, clean, and authentic messaging it will really help you do it. Well, coming back to your podcast and to wrap up, I know that you always finish with your guests with a lightning round of short Q&A using a sound that I'm going to try to replicate that's something like this. <laughs> I may not have done that loud enough. Did it come through? Oh, good. So uh, that is that is a, uh, a table knife against a glass, uh, a, a drinking glass. Um, and that's that signifies the beginning of, of I was going to say my, but really your lightning round. So quick questions, quick answers. 
Uh, Scott, what has been your favorite story to cover and why? The uh, student demonstrations in Tiananmen Square in 1989, because it was so big, it was powerful, there was passion, and it was just unforgettable. I've never seen anything like it before. I never will again. Mm. What event in history do you wish you could have witnessed? Um, I would have liked to see the Berlin Wall fall. I was watching it on television from CBC National Newsroom, and I really wanted to be there. Do you have a preferred microphone or brand as somebody who spends a lot of time behind one? Uh, Yes, I am a recent convert to AKG, and I'm using something called a C414XL2. I hope I've got that right, but uh, it's a lovely microphone. It's a great condenser microphone. (laughs) And last, post-COVID, presuming all gets back to some form of new normal, Raptors, Leafs, Blue Jays, Toronto FC, or Argonauts? Raptors, 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 Raptors. (laughs) Outstanding. Scott, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Adam. Really appreciate it. Toronto-based Scott Simi is the host of BMO or BMO Inside Stories, a podcast available through your favorite podcast app. For Update One, I'm Adam Cano. Update One is a production of the National Press Club's Broadcast Podcast Committee. You can comment on this podcast or any episode of Update One by sending an email to Update One Podcast. That's update the number one podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to Update One. Update One.